This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, May 24th, the Existential Tantrum Edition. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. Now, Gabe is still sick this week, which I feel terrible about, but we do wish him our best. Feel better, Gabe. And it's just going to be me and Carvel holding down the fort this week. Today, we'll be discussing a question from the Slate Parenting Group on Facebook about manipulative ex-husbands. And a listener sent us a voice memo to ask us what to do about a screaming kid when you've got depression, anxiety, and another kid on the way. But first, let's talk about the week's triumphs and fails. Carvel, do you have a triumph or a fail this week? Uh, I don't know. I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys figure it out. I, um, (laughs) this, uh, (laughs) this weekend I, uh, there was, so Joe and lives by the lake, Lake Merritt, which is this like place, the central place in Oakland that everyone hangs out at, especially when the weather changes. And so I was on my way over there, uh, on Sunday. And some of you may know that this, that a story that began at Lake Merritt a couple of weeks ago has gone viral, which is that this white woman tried to call the police on a few folks who were barbecuing on a Sunday morning. And, uh, first she said, it's because you're using charcoal. You're not supposed to use charcoal here. And she was going to call the police because they were using charcoal. And then as the video unfolded, she then was like, well, I I feel threatened by you being here. And then the police were like, yeah, I don't think anything's wrong. They didn't even come down. And then this woman unfortunately became a meme. And because of the fact that there's so much complexity around gentrification in Oakland and there's so many of these issues, um, people, a lot of people, myself included, really had an emotional response to seeing that video because it felt very much like a distillation of everything that is happening in Oakland for black people in general. And uh, so two weeks later, an event was organized called Barbecuing While Black in which a, like a whole bunch of people came to the lake, which is a public park, and 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 barbecued. And I happened to go there on Sunday, and I ended up taking a video, which weirdly went viral. Apparently it has like 3 million views. I got calls from like the BBC to like go and be interviewed and all this stuff. And it's like, and all I'm getting all these like Polish newspapers are reaching out. Like it's this whole thing. Anyway, so, um, so people really love this video because it really, because the Oakland is just so chill with stuff like this. And it was just this video of like hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people just like hanging out, barbecuing, flying kites, kids are running around, everyone's cooking, everyone's just having a really great time. And people apparently around the world got really inspired by this because they were like, this is like such a beautiful response to all the ugliness and hatred that is going on right now. And as an Oakland person, it feels very much in line with the way the city operates. It's great. What people don't know behind the scenes is that I <laughs> I went over to Joe's house to get the kids on Sunday morning and they did not want to leave the house at all. And I was like, guys, 
there's a thing happening at the lake. We should just walk over there. It's literally like 788 steps from your bedroom. And they did not want to go. They were like, it's Sunday, Dad. It's not fair. You can't just make us go to places. I just want to watch TV. I just, oh, I've, had a, I've had a hard week and I just need to relax. And I was like, okay, I understand that. But that's ridiculous. You've been, it's now like 1 p.m. You've been in bed all day. You're in a dark room. You're staring at a screen like, it's over. Time to get up. And they did not want to. And it turned into like a real like fight between all of us. And I didn't like lose my temper, but it was so frustrating because they really did not want to go. And then my kids are at that age and maybe a lot of teenagers do this where when they don't like something you're doing as a parent, they start launching personal attacks on you because they've just mm. learned how to read people's personalities. So like they're like, you know what your problem is, dad? You just you just don't experience any joy and you're just you're in suffering about your own childhood and you just want to make our childhood suffer. You know, it's like every personal attack you possibly can. I'm just like, Damn, ah, that, that, that got deep fast. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, guys, relax. What you, you know, and they, my kids totally do this. And Joe and I laugh about this. We were laughing about this last night because they do it to both of us. And I was just like, and I was just like, I'm not going to take the bait, but I'm not going to move the goalpost. The goalpost is get your ass out of bed <laughs> and go to the fucking lake right now. Or else. And so we go to the lake and the whole time they're just complaining, oh, I didn't even want to leave. You just made us come. Like, you're such a control freak, dad. You just make everyone do everything you want. And you're supposed to be this parenting expert, but I don't like your parenting. And I'm just like, yo. And so we so we end up going to the thing and then they kind of relax when we're there and we sort of, you know, when we walk all the way through and they're like, what even is this? There's like so many people, like it's cool, but what's even happening? And... Um, <laughs> And then, and we, you know, we finally like got everything and then they chilled and we got back home and it was fine. They were a little bit better, but whatever. And then that video that I happened to take when I was there just blew up and became this like multi-million view thing. And I, and, and I kept, I was showing them like, wow, like this is, this is this video, like this event actually was really important for like a lot of people in the world, not just for Oakland. This event really symbolized a bunch of stuff. And then, uh, last night we were talking about it. And Ezra was like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to be there. Like, that was really cool that I was able to be at a part of history. I was just like, you know what? Fuck you, bro. <laughs> 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 but I don't know, man. So I don't know if it was a triumph or a fail, but it was rough. I, I was barely holding it together. I was so I don't know either. No. That. And yeah. I think that's fair because I think that like the thing that irritates me most about Teddy especially is just his he always defaults to not wanting to go. Always. And like right. Right. even when he's said right. he's going to, like picking up his brother at the airport, right. you're coming with me to pick up your brother at the airport. Oh yeah, 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 that would be cool. And then when it's time to actually go, it's like nah. and it's just like I just <laughs> Just like if you like it's and it's tough. I mean, now your kids will have seen this amazing thing and you now have an example to point to the next time they don't want to leave the house. And you could be like, maybe something amazing will happen again. And then, you know, they're still just going to be like, yeah. you know, you know, they're going to do if that. If only that if only that were the case, because that happens every. So my kids, too, but they default towards not wanting to go yeah. and do anything. And every time we go that. Yeah, they've even made the joke about every time we say we don't want to. Even as the other day, like a couple of weeks ago, we had this thing where I was like, "All right, let's go. Let's just go in. Let's go in the car and drive to San Francisco and watch the sunset because you have to go west across the bridge, and it happened to be just the right time for sunset, and it was really beautiful and all this stuff. And then when we were on it, Ezra was like, when we were on the trip, Ezra was like, you know, this is this this is what we have to do, Dad. You have to come up with an idea of something like whimsical and beautiful for us to do. We have to hate it. You have to force us to do it. And then we have to secretly like it and have a really good time. So I was like, so I was like, okay, you guys, you know the pattern. I get it. We all get it. 
But this this thing on Sunday, they would not let it go. They were really right. offended that I made them go. Even though they really liked the event, they they had a real problem with me forcing them to go. And I don't know. I think I think that they're it's just it's something I'm keeping an eye on because I think it might be symbolic of bigger issues. I think this is more for Georgia than Ezra because he kind of came around. But I think Georgia is reaching a phase where she's like not a fan of parental authority. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and You've hinted at that in back. the previous weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's starting to happen. And I think and I think especially me as like the male parent figure, she's really, she, you know, she's like starting to see a lot of like stuff she doesn't like about that as a whole. And, right. Uh, you so as a person. I'm, so I'm just keeping <laughs> me, yeah, and I'm just keeping an eye on that. And I'm going, right. all right, I understand. This is fair. This is valid. And also... How can I safely navigate you through what is, you know, a, like a, a reasonable and understandable phase of, of like, mis, uh, maybe not misplaced, but maybe sort of wa- too widely placed resentment? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that your resentment um, antenna is way up because I've noticed that even just the way you've been talking about resentment the last few weeks, like, I think you're at the receiving end of it right now. So <laughs> you're more attuned to it than uh, perhaps you were before. Rese- because you yeah, said to me last though. week when I was doing my rant about the grandparent names, you were like, yes. there's just a lot of resentment toward parents right now. That's and I was thinking true. like, is there? Is there? Really? <laughs> there, no. Is there a lot? No. Yes, there is. Yes. Yes. That, because, okay. Oh my God. I, I Don't even get me started. But I was reading all the, I was reading all the responses and, and yes, it's about people being mad about at their own parents for something yes. specific. And this is a symbol of it. And not everyone has that. And I'm not saying right. it's wrong. I'm just saying not everyone has that. I no, don't have totally. that right now because my mother's dead. And so I let go of all my resentment when she died. And But I think if I were alive, this would bother me more. If she were alive, yeah. rather, this would bother me more. If I was real, right. real still stewing with my anger towards her. Right, right. All right, what about you? What is your uh, triumph uh, fail this week? Well, mine, I think, <laughs> uh, could have easily devolved into a fail, especially given my... Um, uh, Lack of participation, but it all worked out. So I'll just give you that spoiler alert. So this past weekend was Henry's prom. And he flew home just to go to prom. He had planned the prom because he's class president, but he, of course, hasn't been in his own school for a few months. But he had to come back for it, so he did. And uh, it was, you know, it was all going according to plan. Like, I had picked up his tux for him. You know, we he scheduled a haircut at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning, day of the prom. Uh, we got home from the airport at, like, 1.30 in the morning. It'd take this really late flight to come home. And then one of my dogs, like, woke me up at, like, 5.30 the next morning on Saturday. So I woke up, and I was up, and I was like, well, hey, I may as well watch the royal wedding. I'm up. So, like, I got, like, four hours yes. of sleep the night before <laughs> because <laughs> I was curious and wanted to see, like, where the celebrities were sitting. So, anyway, um, so... That day, I get uh, a Facebook message from, actually, it was the day before, it was Friday, so it was before Henry had gotten home, I got a Facebook message from another mom who's also a teacher in the school system who I've known for a really long time, and she's the parent of one of Henry's female friends, one of his girlfriend's best friends. And she sent me a Facebook message and said, um, so uh, my daughter says, my daughter asked if she could stay over at your guy's house on Saturday night and um, I just don't know what's going on and it's the first time she's ever asked to go to like a co-ed sleepover so if you could just like fill me in on what's going on and I was like I don't know what's going on either like I haven't talked to my son barely in like four months Uh, if he's made a plan like I don't know about it but I will tell you that like if this is what happens and if kids all come and stay here like they'll be well looked after we're not the kind of house that like provides trouble and we will take everyone's keys just in case anybody brings trouble but like you know they'll be good and she's like that's what i thought blah blah blah. great 
So Henry comes home. I say to him, like, I understand there might be some kids <laughs> staying over here after prom. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he's like, honestly, I don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, my girlfriend and her friends asked if I could ask you, but like, this is the first time I've actually talked to you. So what do you think? And I'm like, I think it's fine. You know, whatever. I said, I'll go get some, you know, sodas and snacks or whatever today. So I was at the store. We have, you know, in my tiny little town, we have like a little tiny grocery store. And I was there on Saturday during the day when Henry was doing like some you know, prom stuff, preparations. And I was buying, you know, those tiny little like six ounce cans of soda. I was buying like mm-hmm. uh, a couple of cases of those. And somebody in line was like, oh, I've never seen those tiny little things of soda. And I was like, oh, they're awesome. Because when you have like a bunch of teenagers over, you don't find half empty soda cans everywhere the next day. You do find empty soda cans because they're so small that right. like they actually drink them. <laughs> right. So it was like a dumb conversation. And the kid running the cash register at the grocery store was like, you're having a bunch of teenagers over? You must be Henry's mom. And I was like, oh, shit. Um. (laughs) How many people know about this thing happening in our house? How many people are going to be showing up? And like, what is this that I have signed up for without realizing that I was signing up for it? So I came home from the store. I tell Kevin, he's like, oh, God, like how many people do you think are coming? I'm like, I don't know. Henry's like, I think just like 10. And I was like, I don't know, Henry. Like the kid at the grocery store knew about it. He's not even in your grade. Like it's gotten around. So um, uh, prom rolls around. We go uh, really one of the parents who owns like an orchard, which is super nice, agreed to have all the kids come mm-hmm. over and took pictures. It was really lovely like us to see all the parents, see all the kids. Everybody was beautiful. Henry and Maya yeah, won the pictures prom are great, by queen. the way. It's beautiful. I know. I know. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing was beautiful. And so like 930 rolls around and I know prom is over at like 10. So I'm thinking kids are going to trickle in around like 11 or whatever they're going to get over. And yeah. Right. I'm just wiped. I'm like, I literally cannot hold my eyes open anymore. So I turn to Kevin and I'm like, I'm sorry, but I, you're going to have to handle this party thing. I have to go. (laughs) You're on your own. (laughs) Handle it, big fella. See you later. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So I went to sleep and I have, I did not do any policing. I did not do any supervising. (laughs) I did not do anything. Uh, Kevin apparently collected everybody's keys. Only about 12 kids showed up. Uh, Everybody stayed over. The next morning I woke up, they were all there. I made them all pancakes and bacon. Mm-hmm. They all told me all about the mm-hmm. night. They had a great time. Uh, I am now officially mother of royalty. Uh, and it all went really yeah, well. But right. it could have been uh, different because <laughs> I completely abdicated my promised responsibility <laughs> that I made to all of these parents. And I saw a bunch of them, too, at the picture taking. And they were like, oh, I understand you're hosting the post-prom party. And I'm like, I, yes, I, I'm, I'm on it, guys. I'll take care of your children. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But it I all worked that. out. <laughs> it all worked out. I love any abdication of parental responsibility that works out. The ones yes. that don't work out are terrible. And exactly. so, you know, exactly. those are the risks. But but well, you got Kevin to see the royal wedding. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, Ke- yeah Kevin took care of it. It wasn't like you just left everyone. Right. No, no, no. He, right, but yeah. I, I didn't, but I didn't expect him to also, he, he's, he only stayed up until he was sure that like everybody was there was staying over. Like we right. had no illusions right. that we could like keep no, know, of course like, not. Like sexy, funny business from yes. happening. Like we had no illusions about that. And I was very clear with the other parents about that. I was like, 
I like I, I'll just tell you, like, we're not going to provide any alcohol or drugs and we'll it's a safe place for everyone to say I'll feed everybody. Everyone will be safe. And and like I was I did not make any promises beyond that. So like he came to bed at two. The kids were all still up, but it all worked out. Of course. So, yeah. Anyway, did you like the royal wedding. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> I did enjoy it. I enjoyed um, the faces of, well, I've, I'm a big fan of the yes. crown. And so, like, yeah. I, for, first of all, poor Princess Anne must be, like, rolling over in her grave, right? Like, she wasn't allowed to marry right. that divorced guy. Right. <laughs> and, um, but I, I did enjoy the faces of all the snobby relatives. And I did enjoy watching where all the celebrities had to sit. Some of them behind that wall and some of them in front of the yeah. wall. It was interesting. Yeah. And Henry yeah, watched yeah, it with cool. me, which was all fun. Right. Yeah. It was a spectacle, yeah. the kind of spectacle we don't have here. Yeah, I was like not gonna, that wasn't my thing, but I ended up being dragged to some brunch and someone was, <laughs> cooked so much incredible food that I was like, okay, I'm into it now. Like this incredible cakes, there were scones and biscuits. Were like, I don't know who this person was, but they just laid a whole smorgasbord out and it was so excellent that I was into it. So, And in your West Coast time, so you don't have to get up at 5.30 in the morning to see it. No, no, no. It was like recorded. No one would, like we started watching oh. it at like noon. No one, no one, no one's going to like, why? Come on. <laughs> We're humans over here. We're Americans. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Before we move on, let's take care of some business. As always, if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 424-255-7833. Or you can send us an email at slate.com. And as a reminder, we have moved our Facebook presence. We now have a Facebook group. It's really fun. It's really active. Every episode has a really rousing discussion, as evidenced by last week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a great place to talk about your own triumphs and fails, uh, share your own questions and issues, and you'll get answers to those questions, sometimes from one of us. Even Gabe likes to hang out on the Slate Parenting Facebook group. So all you have to do is search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a really fun community. It's moderated, so it doesn't get out of control. And uh, I really recommend it. I'm really enjoying it myself. So in Slate Plus today, we're going to hear our producer, Benjamin Frisch, ask a question about the black and white world of little kids and how to help them navigate more complex issues like the goodness or sometimes not so goodness of police. To hear segments like this and get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is a great way to help support this show. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great Slate shows and a ton of other great benefits. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. All right, let's go. Our first question was posted in the Slate Parenting Group on Facebook. It's from Lourdes, and it's being read by Slate's Shasha Leonar. I have a very sad problem. I recently got divorced after 20 years of marriage to a man who was emotionally abusive to me and my now 12-and-a-half-year-old daughter. He gave me full custody and takes her out for dinner once a week. 
The other day after a visit with her dad, she comes home quite upset and told me that she might have gotten me in trouble with Papa. I told her not to worry, and she relayed his following words. If your mother doesn't tell me when she is taking you out of state, I am going to take her to court and then she'll go to prison. All because she shared that we are going to Connecticut in October. The whole comment is, of course, absurd, but extremely upsetting to her, undermining her sense of stability, etc. I told her he can't do that, but I'm worried about how to handle him going forward. I called him immediately, and he said he just wants to be informed of our plans. I don't feel any need to do that. He is barely involved, and it makes me feel yucky to tell him our plans. Thoughts would be much appreciated. Lourdes. It's hard. It's hard because I want to steer away from legal advice, which I'm not. Uh, We're not qualified, qualified on that. any level yeah. to give in relationship to this. So I'll give some emotional and spiritual advice. The first one is fuck this guy. Yep. Honestly, fuck this guy. Like for real. And um, it there is the the unfortunate reality is that your twelve and a half year old daughter is getting old enough to learn, unfortunately, that her father is an abusive prick. And there is not much that you can do to change that. It's something that if your father or mother or any guardian is an abusive prick, there comes a time when you, growing up, come to the full realization that this person is an abusive prick. And, um, that, that then you just, you know, it, it goes where it goes. Sometimes people stop talking to the person and they don't want to hang out with them anymore. And they, you know, and they go to counseling and therapy and sometimes people just learn to deal with the person. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that people, but the reality is, you know, the question of like, I mean, like the real question is like how to handle him going forward, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think you need to handle him differently than you've handled him so far. Cause it doesn't sound like you're handling him in any wrong way. If you are not legally bound to tell him when you go out of state, which I don't know if you are or not, then you don't have to fucking tell him when you're going out of state, fuck him. And, um, so then, uh, assuming that that's taken care of, you've sort of like tied up all the fuck hims. Then there's this question about what to do about your daughter, for for whom this gentleman is her father. And I, in general, in divorced couple situations, I think it's important to go to work as hard as you can, not to unnecessarily vent your frustrations and resentments towards your partner on your kid. I think that's too much for a kid to hold. Even if those frustrations are legitimate, I still think that one of the mistakes most parents make after divorce, and I know this from my own experiences, both being a child of separated of separated couple and also being in a separated couple, is that one of the mistakes we make the most is we over-rely on our children as places for us to vent our very alive and vivid frustration that we're experiencing through the horrific process of divorce and the aftermath. And so we think that we're just, you know, someone says, you know, dad, blah, blah, blah. And we think that we're trying to just tell them the truth, but really what we're doing is venting. Well, you know what? Here's the thing about your dad. So usually I try to advise people to avoid that. However, I think that your daughter is going to need her reality validated because chances are if he's the kind of person who does this and says this, she is probably, again, reaching a point where she's beginning to recognize 
And we talked about this at the beginning with Georgia. Georgia's the same age. She's 12 years old. At that age, Georgia begins to recognize where things are unfair, where people are assholes. She's having this one, this ongoing issue with one of her teachers at school. And even though it's coming up about a lot of stuff, Georgia's not doing this, Georgia's not doing that. What it really is is that she does not have a lot of tolerance for male mediocrity. And this guy is a mediocre teacher and she knows it and it really angers her that he's in charge. And that's what it's really coming down to. And she's reaching the age where that matters. And she's understanding that. And she's putting two and two together about the way our society works and the way this guy fits into it. And it makes her angry. And it's valid. And so a 12-year-old is beginning to put together bigger issues about where these things fall into place socially. And so the the you have the opportunity to let her know that she's not crazy or wrong, that this guy is problematic. And it's not her, it's him. It's not her, it's him. And that's something that I think it might be helpful to begin to look for ways to communicate and validate if she brings it up. Um, I don't think you have to tell him when you're going out of state unless you're legally required to do so, which I don't know if you are or not. If you are, I would do the minimum fucking legal requirements and that's it. Um, But at this point, your concern is for your daughter. And how can sh- how can you intervene in the way in which a, a, an abusive parent can be ruinous for a child's mental health? And uh, I think that's where your focus needs to be. Those are my initial thoughts, Rebecca. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. I think her reality needing to be validated is the exception to the don't shit on your yes. ex in front of your kids rule yes. the exception yeah. is when your ex does something blatantly abusive or when your ex does something so poisonous that it makes your kid walk on eggshells and feel like they can't share the realities of their daily life with both parents because they are going to do something wrong and they are going to get in trouble that is so damaging it's so harmful for kids that i think he has uh with his behavior in my opinion, uh, you have an exception to that rule and you can absolutely tell your daughter it was not okay of your father to say that. When he does that, that is, you know, that is not just wrong, but it's it's harmful and it's harmful to you because now you have the feeling like you can't just share details of your life with both of your parents for fear of somebody getting in trouble, which is not a reality and it's not going to happen. And, you know, all the comfort that she's giving her um, and all of the trying to, you know, manage the 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 ex, like you're not going to be able to manage the ex. This is the like huge upside of divorcing an asshole is that you get to hang up. The problem is your daughter doesn't get to hang up yet because mm-hmm. it sounds like she has this mm-hmm. weekly obligated date with him. Um And again, this is not legal advice. This is practical advice. I don't know what your legal situation is or what state you live in, uh, obviously. Uh, But 12 and a half is getting pretty close to the age where kids just start to make choices that parents have Mm -hmm. after which have very little control over where they physically choose to be, uh, what they physically, uh, you know, want to do. And... What your ex is doing is setting up a situation where his daughter's not going to want to have dinner with him anymore. And my concern here is that given what he has demonstrated in this one incident as this incredible amount of attempt of like frustration over not being able to control you and control her, um, my concern is that he might not take that rejection well, but it's probably going to happen at some point. And I would be thinking about that. I'd be thinking ahead to helping her pave the way to to making that decision if, if you're starting to get a sense that she wants to make it. Um, but yeah, this is the thing that's so hard is that like 
he's trying to intrude on your relationship with her. Like he's trying to mess it up. Uh, that's what controlling abusive assholes do is they when they're not part of something, they try to ruin it. Like that's that's the behavior pattern. Yeah. I've been in relationships yeah. like this. I have ex and ex that uh, in has, you know, in the history of my life done things similar to this um, in terms of like just trying to sort of continue the pattern of the relationship after it's over. I mean, that's what's happening here. Um, and I, I do think this steps over the boundaries where, you know, you can respectfully shit talk him to your daughter. You can say, you know, hmm. that's it, it's not just not OK. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm, it's toxic. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and you were right to tell me about it. And what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Like, let's come up with. Like, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you want to uh, just, you know, sh do, do you and I need to make plans where you keep your conversations with dad in a certain set of topics? How can I support you in that? Do you want to, mm -hmm. you know, explore not doing this weekly dinner anymore? Just have the conversation because um, I don't yeah. think you're going to be able to do anything about him. I really don't unless you, yeah. you know, unless there's some legal action you choose to take at, at some point. But it's it's really about her. It's really about her. And I would just keep the focus there this is terrible this like when i read this yeah. like made my blood boil yeah yeah and i mean again i think i always talk about this like the priorities and stuff and like i feel like the the one of the main responsibilities the mother has in this situation is not only to validate the daughter's reality if she's beginning to recognize boy i'm it seems like dad's some of dad's stuff is kind of like cruel and you know that that she needs that validated so that she doesn't feel like she's alone in that but it's also to make clear to her what healthy relationships are supposed to look like and what yep. healthy interactions between people are supposed to look like and what loving, caring, and non-manipulative love is supposed to look like. And so when, when she's experiencing someone who is supposed to love her and who probably says, I love you and you're my daughter and I love you, and they engage in behavior that is by definition abusive and not loving – that it's really vitally important for that daughter to have ex explained to her that, yeah, this person is saying they love you and I'm sure they feel like it, but this is not loving behavior. Right. Because I, I think that that's actually probably the biggest real long-term damage to relationships like this is that then we go through the rest of our lives mistaking certain kinds of behavior for loving behavior because that's right. what we – that's what the people who said they loved us did to us when we were growing up. That's right. And uh, yeah, I've been down that road and I can tell you, you don't need to go down it. Trust me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the other way. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> and, we, uh, we've talked about this yeah. in the show before. Like this is the model you have for all the relationships you're going to have That's right. in your whole life. That's right. The relationship between yeah. your parents and the relationship between you and your parents. Like that is your, yeah. that is, that is your primary model. Like the adult relationships around you. And like, this mom did the very difficult and right thing of getting away from this terrible relationship. Yes, and right. and my, my kids were really young when I got divorced. They were only four and six. And I wasn't comfortable talking to them about issues of like um, control and, you know, yes, um, incompatibility course. and, yeah. you know, emotional manipulation. I wasn't – I was, I was completely inappropriate at that point. But as they've gotten older – and they've, you know, had more experience with both of us as people and they've seen their dad in other relationships and they've seen me mm -hmm. in, another, in, in another relationship. It's mm -hmm. like they ask questions about it. And I think it would mm -hmm. be doing them a disservice to not be 
honest about the adult experience of like, this is bad for you. If you feel like you're in a situation mm-hmm. where you are walking on eggshells because mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to mm-hmm. be walking in the door. If you feel mm-hmm. like you're in a situation where you can't be yourself all the time or say mm-hmm. what's on your mind or talk about mm-hmm. what you're doing in your life without fear of reprisal. Yes. It's not yes. okay. It's not okay. Yeah. And, I, you know, so I think there's a huge opportunity here, not just to, you know, protect her from this situation, but to do a lot of good in helping her form ideas about what relationships should look like. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Ugh. Wow. All right. It's a sad problem. Unfortunately, I, I, I don't think in a super uncommon one, divorce is just, you know, it tends to like some people like it, it, it amplifies like the worst part of their relationship is all that's left, right? Because yeah. they're no longer together. So yeah. like the the, the bad yeah. only the bad stuff is left, and that's what sounds like is happening yeah. here. And good luck, good luck, and we're with you in this. It's tough, but uh, we are thinking of you. Our second question was sent to us by voice memo by recording a message on her phone using a voice memo app and emailing it to mom and dad at slate dot com. Why don't you go ahead and play that for us? (laughs) Hi, mom and dad are fighting. My name is Abby, and I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old son and baby number two on the way sometime in the next six weeks. This is kind of a spinoff of the parental mental health question from a few weeks ago, but also asks everyone's favorite question, is this normal slash just a phase or something to be more concerned about? I have depression and anxiety that I'd like to think are fairly well-managed through weekly therapy and regular medication management, Even though I handle this well as an adult, I remember the roots of these illnesses basically as far back as I can. My almost two and a half year old has recently displayed some fairly intense tantrums that are triggering my remembered feelings of emotional helplessness, and I'm concerned that this is the beginning of him having a lifelong struggle with handling his emotions as well. Crying and whining over not getting his way at that moment have been going on for months, and I figured that was normal. But recently he will be triggered by something fairly benign that will devolve into an hour or more of hysterical crying to the point of gagging and banging his head on the ground. And this may be me projecting, but I see in him that he is feeling feelings that are too big to handle and he feels helpless to get himself out of his crying or tantruming cycle. However, I've never had a two-year-old before. So perhaps these tantrums are totally normal and or just a phase related to our upcoming addition of a baby sibling. Of course, I want to help him through these big feelings as much as possible, which usually means just sitting with him and holding boundaries, but speaking calmly until he comes out of it. But I don't know if there's another way to handle these times that could be more beneficial. And if this is just a phase or totally normal, I don't want to label him in some way and go looking for problems where there are none. Help me, mom and dad. Is this just a phase? And whether it is or it isn't, what's the best approach to helping my little guy through these nearly daily tantrums? Thanks. Love the show. This like this is so sweet. This question, (laughs) really, it's like sweet. I'm like, first of all, congratulations. You're about to have a baby. It's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Carva, what do you think? (laughs) No, no. You you should go first because you. I went first in the last one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I want to hear what you have to say. I think there's an outstanding chance that this is just a phase and Mm -hmm. it it, it may not be. I mean, there may be deeper issues here. Maybe you have a kid who has some anxiety also, but the behavior you're describing, even the gagging, banging heads on the floor, tantrums out of control, feelings too big for him to handle. It is classic 
uh, pre really good communicative, uh, post babyhood, otherwise known mm. as terrible twos tantrum mm. <laughs> behavior, because that's the issue here. Your son uh, very likely does have huge, big feelings that he has no way to communicate except for tantrums and except for whining and crying it's like he certainly doesn't have a vocabulary of 10,000 words at this point um, and there's a lot going on in your family and a lot of change going on um, you're actually what you're describing sounds a lot like my son Henry when he was a baby when he was a toddler baby toddler and then all the way up until he was about seven eight years old he could derail our whole day uh, with being upset about something. Like we would not be able to go to the place that we wanted to go because he was too upset. We would uh, change our plans. We would um, you know, have to leave things earlier than planned because he would have some sort of tantrum or just be angry. And I had a lot of the same concerns you had about it potentially lasting forever and this really being some sort of underlying issue. Um, and then when he started to become really articulate, which for him happened a little bit later in terms of like being able to use words and other tools to get out of these situations and learn, he actually learned some techniques too, like unclenching his fists, breathing deeply, smiling, faking a smile until you actually felt a little better. Um, he grew out of it is the only way I can think of to describe it. And now he's the most chill person in the world. And it's hard to believe. I mean, he had a tantrum once where he ran into traffic and almost got hit by a car because he was just so upset in his tiny little body and had no other way to express it other than just running away. Um, so what worked for me most when he was really little and he was in these places was just the kind of doing, I think, the jarring opposite thing that a lot of kids expect when they have this behavior, they're sort of stuck in this cycle of upset, was to uh, be as uh, not upset as possible in my reactions and just be very loving, sometimes hold him, uh, you know, just like really comfort him. Sometimes that would just end it a little sooner, just a lot of hugging, um, just being incredibly calm, just letting him work it out. You know, we had a one room with carpet and I would just put him in there and just let him work it out and you know come in and visit him and talk calmly and then say okay come talk to me when you're ready to talk but I know with a baby on the way it just must feel 10 times as overwhelming as it would be normally but I'm guessing if you were to do a survey of 20 moms of two and a half year olds and ask the same question that you just asked us probably 11 of them would step forward and say like I'm with you my kid is doing Something very similar to what you're describing. I don't know. Do you agree, Carvel, or or not? I I do agree. Yeah, I mean, and I think that one of the things that is like what was really weird about that having kids that age is that okay, everyone knows that kids have tantrums and stuff, but before or from the outside or before you really get in there, you kind of feel like they're going to have tantrums and then it's going to be kind of cute and maybe annoying and funny and then they're going to get over it and then everyone's going right. to outgrow it. What surprised me most during those times, and I, this happened with both kids, but it was more Georgia than it was Ezra, um, who would do this. The tantrums, like, they became existential. Like, mm -hmm. they became so dark and so terrifying. And I just didn't know that, that that it was good. I'd be like, so then I'd be like, well, is that normal? Like, like things like the gagging or the banging the head or just the length of time it went on for or the seeming kind of like mismatch between the situation, which is that 
okay, we have to drink out of the giraffe cup and because the turtle <laughs> cup is in the dishwasher. And the explosion, exactly right. which is like, which is like as someone just came in and murdered my family and all my pets. And like right. the, the, the mismatch between those two things, I was like, is that like, is, is it does my child? And so it made sense that I started to go, does my child have some advanced, like bizarre, crazy mental disorder that like no one's ever heard of or, or <clears throat> are they suffering from the same thing that I'm suffering from? You know, this is, is this, is this pathological? Is this something, is this a condition? And um, so I was unprepared for just the, the, just the depth of the tantrums at that age. And so I did start to question whether it was a condition. And uh, that, the fact that it turned out, I think, not to be, it's so it appears in hindsight, indicates that and the fact that I would connect with other parents who would who when you really got them talking when you because there's the thing about parenting is there's there's like what we tell other people and there's what really goes on in the right. true privacy of just and people don't really talk about the second stuff as much like people don't talk about how bad it gets and I found that once I got other parents talking about how bad it gets, it turns out a lot of parents were experiencing tantrums that were so deep and dark that it made them wonder if there was something actually wrong with the kids. And so I think it was a surprise partially because no one talks about that shit. So I'm glad that mm. we're talking about it because it turns out that that happens. And in our experience, it like exactly like you said, Rebecca, once people started learning some vocabulary to deal with their feelings, it went away. Ezra had was frustrating and had tantrums in a way that seemed normal. Georgia was frustrating and had tantrums in a way that seemed like, whoa, is something wrong with this person? And they went on for much longer. It was This is into five, six, seven, eight years old. Yep. Um, third grade was really hard with Georgia. Third grade was terrible. And actually, the age of three was worse than the age of two for us. Oh, and yeah. Georgia right now definitely gets she gets a stubborn thing like where she wants where she decides that she doesn't she does do this thing where she doesn't care like once you push a certain button for her she will she doesn't care she'll blow up the whole house she'll kill everyone in it she doesn't care if she doesn't eat she doesn't care if she doesn't go see her friends she gets she gets dug in and th so that same kind of like weird nihilism <laughs> that we saw when she was a little kid still exists but she doesn't cause as much damage with it because she's able to recognize, okay, I'm having that thing where I honestly don't give a fuck and I'll kill all of you. And and I'm mad because I can't go to the mall right now and I want to. And she like is old enough to recognize I'm having this response to this feeling. I realize it's not appropriate or like normal. I'm not actually going to act on it, but this is where I am. So just leave me alone until I get over it. And what I, I realize now, that's the same thing she felt at three or two years old. She just didn't know another way to say that at that age. Mm. So she did cry until she choked and bang her head on the thing and collapse in the corner you know so there's a there is a chance that it's something more but you don't know yet and so you have right. to write it out if there is an underlying issue that is real and 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 should be looked at and should be pathologized in some way shape or form that will be revealed over time but it's too early to tell so for now i would just assume that it's just an unfortunate part of having kids that age it's funny how like you're talking about the things that you know triggered uh, I your your kids. I think about um, Henry was very triggered by expectations versus reality. So the time he yeah. ran into traffic was because his sandwich was cut 
in a straight line instead of diagonal corner to corner line, which is the way he expected <laughs> yeah. it to be. I mean, it was literally yes, that. Yeah. And every time there would be something that wasn't yeah. what he expected, you know, like you said, the yeah. giraffe cup was such a great example or like the wrong pants <laughs> or just, yeah. the, you know, he had an expectation. And when the expectation was not the reality, he could not he could not marry the two. Like he could not figure out a way to cope, period. Yeah. Teddy, when yeah. he went through his phase of like extreme anger and acting out, which was he was a little bit older. It was like late elementary school, middle school. He'd have these like big blow ups. It was justice issues. It was like there's a kid mm. treating another kid another way and the kid mm-hmm. who's doing it didn't get into trouble. And it pisses mm-hmm. me off. And he'd have like the justice mm-hmm. thing. And he had to t- be taught like, you are not Captain Justice for the whole world. Sometimes you just have to like yeah. <laughs> deal. But both yeah. of those personality traits, they when they mature, they turn into different things, right? So yeah, Henry right. has this incredible power to sort of like bend reality and make it what he wants it to be. Like he took the SATs and five AP tests in the last three weeks. And because he's been working in this crazy situation, like he had four days to study for the SAT and he was like, you know what? I have four days. I'm going to do like eight months of studying in this four days and it's just going to happen. <laughs> but it's that same it's that same grit that made him like not able to tolerate the diagonal sandwich. Like I see it in his eyes. Like it's that same uh, thing where like reality yeah. isn't what I need it to be. So yeah. I'm just going to have to make it what I need it to be. Yeah. And yeah. Teddy's justice stuff like he is like you know, for all of his not doing his homework bullshit stuff that I talk about on the show, like he's probably the most empathetic person in our house. He feels for people when they're hurting, even when there are kids in his grade that he like hates. He's he's like able to say like, well, I know he's he's like really difficult, but I also feel bad because I know I'm not the only person who doesn't like him and no one wants to be the kid that no one else likes. And like he's able to make that leap because he has that like justice streak, you know? Yeah. So I I do think these things, like, they turn into something else later. And it is fun when you have older kids to remember how much it sucked, but then see sort of, like, what grew out of it. You know, um, (laughs) not always positive, but sometimes positive stuff comes out of that same, like, dig in your heels. I am willing to hurt myself rather than than not get my way. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The banging the head in the floor, yeah, I remember that very clearly. That sucked. That sucked yeah, it's, hard. It's really bad. And the other thing, too, is that, I mean, this is a little young for this, but I would say that, you know, we, when I my, when I worked in youth nonprofit, I first heard of this, like, method, and I think it's actually going to be my recommendation today. Um, but, uh, and then when my kids went to school, it was already implemented at their school, this thing called Toolbox, which is a set of tools for kids to deal with complex emotional stuff and i was amazed at how starting it it gets introduced in kindergarten at both my kids elementary school and i was amazed at how they did enter they did begin to to um integrate it into the way that they dealt with it and basically it's sort of like a way of saying like okay what is my problem and what are i have a bunch of tools i can use i can use the breathing tool quiet safe place tool listening tool empathy tool personal space tool using your words tool garbage can tool where i just sort of talk and say fuck it it's not going to go my way and throw it away taking time tool there's a whole bunch of different tools that you get to use and it's so crazy how much kids when our kids t- were taught this, they would refer to it. They would integrate it. They would tell us that they that we should use such and such a tool when we got upset. So I'm actually going to recommend that. But my point is that there are resources for not for kids who have an issue, but for the the, the issue of being a kid to helping people deal better with the difficult emotions of being a kid because they're real yeah. and they're very big. 
They're really real. And I think it's, I think, and the, the the mom saying, you know, his feelings are too big for his little body, like, that's that's exactly right. And I think that even just yeah. acknowledging that it's right, I do think that people sometimes with tantrums dismiss them. And they just say, you know, this kid's overreacting. It's unimportant. You know, emotionally disturbed. Yeah. I remember people used to, like, one of, a relative once told me she thought Henry was emotionally disturbed. And it was, like, so upsetting <laughs> to me. And yeah. I was like, well, yeah. right now in the moment, he actually is emotionally <laughs> he actually disturbed. He is, yeah. <laughs> and so am I, yeah. because you said that super yeah. shitty thing about my kid. <laughs> I mean, sandwiches are supposed to be cut diagonal, and now reality has been altered. It's Everyone disturbing. Knows that. Like, back up. <laughs> Everyone fucking knows that. But I, yeah. I, you know, if you if you just imagine yourself and your two and a half year old's little head, and he's supposed to get a lollipop, yeah. he doesn't get a lollipop. It's like imagine yeah. how much that sucks. It's. I don't disturbing. know. It might help. I'm absolutely, it's disturbing. disturbing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck. <laughs> uh, good luck our to you. In a, in with a, you. It, it totally a hundred percent with you. And, um, I, I, you're really, you're definitely not alone. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Hey listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. It's time for recommendations. Carvel, what have you got this week? Yeah, so I am, I'm going to do a last minute switch up because that last uh, call did remind me of this. I'm going to recommend the Toolbox Project. Tools for turning, tools for life. Um... It's uh, it is a is a it's a from dovetail learning, which is basically uh, it's designed to kind of like understand or respect the fact that kids innately have a capacity for managing their own emotional, social, and academic success, but only if you show them how to do it. That they have the capacity to do it, but a lot of the problem is they don't quite know how. And so this toolbox toolbox project, which is sort of recommended for kids age five and up. Was I, like I said, I first learned about it when I was working with foster care teenagers and even people who had aged out of foster care. And we started to implement it just a little bit in that program. And then when my kids started elementary school, um, it was implemented in their school. And they not only do they still use it, they still refer to it. We had the little ha- like handout on the fridge and we'd point to it. And it's a series of 12 tools that kids can refer to that they get to choose from when they're faced with a difficult situation. Is this a situation where I need to use the empathy tool? Is this a situation where I need to take some personal space? Is this a situation where I need to actually use some words? This is a situation where I need to just toss it aside and say it's out of my hands, et cetera. And uh, so there's a whole breakdown to how it's used. And I'm going to 
put on the uh, Facebook page and on the Slate page the link to the Berkeley Unified School District's version of it, which is kind of the overview. And if you find it interesting, um, if you want to bring it to your schools and say, hey, here's something that I think could be useful, or we found that just even talking about it, having it as a reference point was super helpful, then that could be good too. So I'm going to put that link up. It's called the Toolbox Project. That sounds awesome. I wish I could go back in time. <laughs> use it dude on that's literally the first thing i thought i was like <laughs> i need to use some four-year-old carvel <laughs> use it on my emotionally disturbed children <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm gonna recommend a um a tool that i have just recently discovered the incredible value of in terms of just like getting rid of shit around our house uh this week i'm actually home from work just to do some house projects one of which is um uh painting teddy's room and also getting him a bigger bed because he is literally hanging over the end of his twin bed and <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> hilarious he, he looks like a gorilla sleeping in like doll bed <laughs> um, and uh so he had this like pair of twin platform beds and my stepdaughter also has a twin bed and i decided you know i just want to like sell all of these things or you know find new homes for him so I did what everyone does, listed them on Craigslist and got a bunch of like sketchy um, emails of people at, offering <laughs> to wire me money and all this stuff. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, and also just dealing with like, you know, a perfect stranger being like, can you send me the measurements yeah. of the beds? It's just like, ugh. So I just decided uh, just to supplement that to list them on the Facebook marketplace, which I've, I'm in a bunch of like Facebook, like yard mm. sale groups or whatever, but there's this mm -hmm. whole like, like tool around selling stuff on Facebook. And it's amazing, at least it was for me, because I guess the way it works, which is just like how everything on Facebook works, is that people that you know kind of see your listing first. Like they see Rebecca Lavoie just posted this item on Facebook Marketplace. Mm -hmm. So I ended up selling all this crap to people I know, giving some of it away also to people I know. So like I know them. I don't have to worry about them showing up at my house because I know who they are. Uh, I know they're not going to try to wire me $950 and ask me to send them a check back for 700 or whatever that stupid <laughs> scam is um and it just and also like it, it gave me a cool opportunity to like this one woman who reached out um she like wanted one of the beds and she was just like asking about like the mattress situation and i was like just take it i know you guys have like eight kids you could probably use it and if you want the other ones you could have them too and it's just a nice way to kind of connect stuff with people who i actually know could use the stuff um so anyway i really recommend it if you have stuff you're trying to get rid of big or small like try selling it on facebook through the marketplace like it's a whole new thing it's like it it, it is easy it's quick and just because it's a tool that's right in your hand anyway and people's names are attached to their messages to you even i think dealing with strangers which i've dealt with a couple people like that or this week too as i've sold stuff it's just been completely pleasant and lacked all of the sketchy potential creepiness that craigslist brings to the equation no offense to anyone who works at craigslist who's listening to me talk about this <laughs> well it's not their fault <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but that's exactly. A, there's, that's, that's there's a like great a trawling culture on on Craigslist that I don't think quite exists in the, at least in the Facebook marketplace in my town. That'll do it for our show today. Mom and Dad are fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. The homepage for the show is slate.com/slash mom and dad. If you have a question you want to ask us on the podcast, leave us a message. The number is 424-255-7833. You can also join us in our Facebook group by searching for Slate Parenting on Facebook. 
For Carvel Wallace, I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and we will talk to you next week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.